y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. Here to talk about Bernie Sanders' big weekend. Don't let anybody tell you we can't win the nomination or win the general election. We're going to do both of those things. Sanders won caucuses in Hawaii, Alaska, and Washington State over the weekend. He says he has momentum, but like all things this election, it's complicated. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. All right, before we start, Tam, is it true, is it true, is it true? Is this the first week of 2016 with no voting and no debates? I know for a fact there is no voting and no debates this week. Listeners, you can't see it, but I'm like doing a praise dance right and, now. And I'm breathing. Yes. I'm actually breathing. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. We'll figure out something for you guys to do. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. Thanks, boss. <laughs> Speaking of you, Domenico, Uh uh, you wrote about this yesterday on our site, uh, Bernie Sanders having his very big weekend winning these three caucuses. Um, But it's still complicated for him going forward. Why is that? Well, Sanders did have a big weekend. I mean, let's not sugarcoat any of that. I mean, he did very well in these caucuses, more than 70 percent in Hawaii, Alaska, and Washington State. Washington State hasn't tallied all of the delegates yet, but when all said and done, he'll probably net something like 60 delegates or more out of what happened yesterday. And that cuts into Hillary Clinton's pledge delegate lead by something like 20 percent. And that's pretty significant for Bernie Sanders. Now, all that said, the math is still the math, and Bernie Sanders needs to have the kind of night he had or kind of day he had Saturday in all of the rest of the contest. He went into that day needing 58% of all delegates that remained for a pledged delegate majority. He now needs 57% of all delegates remaining possible. He needs to have big days in a lot of different states where he won't be favored in the same kind of ways. Primaries in places like New York, New Jersey, California, Wisconsin, he's thought to do pretty well and needs that kind of margin as well. But going forward, he's going to win a lot of places over the next 10 weeks. It's going to be a lot of talk about his momentum. And we've talked about that in this podcast before, that it's hard to find a place or two or three where Hillary Clinton is going to win. And it seems like with these states coming up, Wisconsin, Wyoming, New York, Sanders' team plans to make a really strong play for New York, right? Yes, they have opened up a campaign office in Brooklyn, uh, which happens to— It's a little hard trolling, right? Well, yeah, that's that's exactly— (laughs) I mean, he is from Brooklyn, though. He did grow up in Brooklyn. He's really from— Vermont. He might, he might, Vermont he is might home. Find, he might but find Brooklyn, a different kind of Brooklyn now. Yes, but he <laughs> he did grow up in Brooklyn. Hillary Clinton, of course, has her headquarters in Brooklyn as well. Um, so he is also pushing to get a debate held in New York sometime before New York votes. Uh, and yes, Hillary Clinton has won New York twice. She was a popular senator. She People liked her. Um, Bernie Sanders is not saying... Yeah, you can have that one. Yeah. And what's interesting that so I'm seeing all of these articles saying that Team Sanders plans to step up the attacks while at the same time, Team Clinton is not doing the same. What is that about? Well, Hillary Clinton has basically moved on. Should she have moved on, though, is a question, right? Hillary Clinton does not want to attack Bernie Sanders. She doesn't get a lot from it. And she risks alienating Bernie Sanders supporters who already are not particularly fond of her. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's that whole Bernie or bust movement of, of uh, Bernie Sanders supporters who say they'll never support Hillary Clinton. Um, she has moved into the part of her campaign where, at least on some level, she is trying to win over Bernie Sanders supporters. And attacking Bernie doesn't do her any good, really, on any front. So... I want to talk about 
the delicate math and the numbers math of, of this whole situation, there are and, and have been people saying to Sanders supporters and Sanders consistently now for a while, the math is not in your favor considering getting out of this thing. But if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter and you support Bernie Sanders, no matter what the math is, if there's still a chance he could win, don't you still just support him? Yes. Okay, explain. And, and I called up someone named Tom Pike. He is a he's just like a regular guy. Hi, he Tom. Is, he's a Bernie Sanders supporter. He is on the monthly subscriber plan. He gives Bernie like ten dollars a month instead of buying a CD or a six pack of beer. And he says he really does still buy CDs. Um, and does he get anything for that? Like a T-shirt? <laughs> I mean, because you know you could do that with NPR. What was the little subscription yes. club? Well, there are. What was that club oh, called? Oh, um, Columbia House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he gets like bonus stickers and things like that. Huh. And he says giving is extremely easy. Has a delegate math changed his mind about anything at all? No. And I want to play a little piece of tape. He is very well aware of the delegate math and he doesn't care. It's not over until the guy says I'm done and says this is where we go from here and you call us sheep or people that are blindly following some leader or something like that, that's fine too. But I just, you know, this is the candidate that I've always wanted and he's still in the race and there's no point in getting hung up on delegate math. It's increasingly unlikely. Yes, I concede that. But at the same time, it, it honestly, it just doesn't matter to people that are just diehard Sanders people. Including you. <laughs> Including me. Yeah. And he said that it was always unlikely. Yeah, it was. At, I mean, because Sanders was at was like three percent ten months ago, right? Right. It's more likely now than it was months and months and months ago. And he did have these very big wins. Now, in the broader context, they don't change the overall picture and the math that much. But they um, galvanize supporters. But they, and here's another piece of math: the Associated Press is reporting that since Saturday. Bernie Sanders has raised $4 million. Wow. And, you know, it's funny. Online, after Sanders wins in Alaska, Hawaii, and Washington State, it was a burst of support from his supporters. And there was also kind of this pushback on what some supporters of Sanders see as an incorrect media narrative. Uh, there was a hashtag that sprung up called Bernie Made Me White. And this started and with, with it started with people of color this started who with support the, Sanders? This started with a guy named Leslie Lee III, who lives in Japan, black guy from Baton Rouge. We spoke earlier. But he basically said, I'm tired of hearing this media narrative that all of Bernie Sanders supporters are white people. What about me? I'm here, right? So he said, you know, if this narrative is true, then I guess Bernie made me white. And then he said this. Hey, if you're going to ignore me as a black person, I might as well embrace my whiteness, you know. I might as well start watching Friends or, you know, uh, enjoying pumpkin spice latte or whatever. I just wanted to have a bit of fun with it while highlighting the serious issue. <laughs> is that a white thing, pumpkin spice latte? I know it's a basic thing some people say. Um, but I don't know if it's. A, I, I don't I like am, pumpkin on principle. I am very pumpkin, white. Like, pumpkin's I like not, pumpkin. Pumpkin doesn't spice. actually have pumpkin. Doesn't actually have any flavor. You know, it's like all the it's all the stuff they add to it. No, it's true. But if you eat like a pumpkin, it's going it's going to have flavor. Not really. That's the point. But it's even better with pumpkin spice. <laughs> Neither here nor there. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, a lot of people of color were like, "Hey, there are people of color that support Bernie Sanders," and we're tired of this narrative especially yeah. given his wins in Alaska and Hawaii. Now, here's the thing, though. We don't have exit polling data right. on those states. There were none run this weekend. But I did call up the folks at Edison Research. They do all of the exit polling for this election. And 
They said out of all of the states that they've done exit polls for so far, Hillary Clinton does beat Sanders in the black and brown vote. But with Latinos ages 17 through 29, Bernie Sanders gets two thirds of that vote. And with black voters between 17 and 29, Bernie Sanders gets 51 percent of that vote. So he wins young voters of color. And I think that's what you saw on Twitter last night. Young voters <laughs> right. of color saying, hey, we're a thing. You know, we thing exist. Is, people always get annoyed with polls because they actually are a broad brush. You know, yeah. and and people will say, well, Hillary Clinton wins black people. Right. But that's because when you look at exit polls, it shows she wins a majority of yeah. black people overall, not necessarily that thin slice yeah. or to say that there's one person who's offended because they are of that race that then is left out of that broad brush. You know what I mean? So I think that that's a big problem all the time with polling, but it does give us at least some measure of where things might be going that's pretty close to what winds up happening. Meanwhile, I got a tweet from a 70-year-old white guy who wanted me to know that he supports Bernie Sanders. Uh-huh. Because, you know, old people old support people. Hillary. Old, old people right. support Hillary old, Clinton. Yeah. Hashtag not all every people all the time, never ever. Hashtag exactly. Something. So, Domenico, you um, made this argument in your piece on Sunday, basically, that no matter what happens to Bernie Sanders in this campaign, he has already won. In a lot of ways, he has. I mean, the issues that he's brought up, whether it's regulating banks, uh, getting money out of politics, and a host of other things, leveling the economic playing field, for example, he has really pushed that message. It's going to be something that's going to be part of the Democratic platform. You know, this path for Bernie Sanders exists. It's real. I tried to lay it out. I gave him a two-delegate pledge majority, but it means that he's going to have to take the kinds of majorities he got on Saturday and push that out through a lot of contests that are coming up, Wisconsin, New York, New Jersey, in some places that aren't necessarily, you know, open as much to Bernie Sanders' demographic or message as uh, other states have been. Well, and also they aren't even open primaries. They're closed primaries where he has Which favors Clinton, right? Exactly. And caucuses where he has done very well. Remember all three of those contests over the weekend were caucuses. They drive a lot of activist turnout. Primaries in the Northeast that day in particular when New York votes on April 19th and then April 26th with some of those other states in the Northeast going to be a very big test for Bernie Sanders. And then you look at California on June 7th. Bernie Sanders, even if he wins these big majorities all the way through June 7th, he's still going to need 57 percent of all the delegates on that final day, June 7th, that uh, second to last weekend uh, of voting. He's going to need California, 57 percent of the delegates there because they have 475 pledged delegates, a huge cache of delegates. That's when he would actually turn the tables. So all that to say, this race is not over yet. But I might get to go to California. Uh, I'm going to California. We should both go to California. (laughs) We should both go to California. All right, so to wrap, let's read this question from a listener named Lisa in Los Angeles. Kind of sums up a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, I am not a Lisa. (laughs) Tamara, you're closer to that. You want to read this for us? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Here she goes. I am going through an identity crisis. I am a self-identified progressive. I should be feeling the burn. All of my coworkers feel the burn, but I do not. I don't really feel like shouting hill yes either, I feel really lost about my political identity. Are any of you finding people like me on the campaign trails? I'm from California and am intimidated about how much influence my home state may make this year in the election. To be clear, this uh, question was edited for clarity. Go ahead. <laughs> and short, it was shortened a little. But the the idea here, though, is, Tam, you could probably talk to the fact that you've 
met conflicted Democrats on the campaign trail. All the time. The people in this election don't like their choices overall. You know what, though? I've been following Sanders, and it's been hard for me to find people that aren't totally gung-ho about Sanders. I feel like when I go to a Sanders event, Uh everyone is gung-ho. Are you seeing a different level of gung-ho-ness with Well, I mean, so there are different types of people at a Hillary Clinton event. There are people who are, oh, my gosh, hill yes people. But then there are a lot of people who are conflicted. Uh, There are young women who want the first female president, but also really like what Bernie Sanders is saying about college affordability and equal pay for women. And there are people who are genuinely conflicted. There are a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters who are thinking about if Hillary Clinton were to be the nominee, could they support her? Yeah. What you're you're also finding here, though, is somebody from California who's usually at the back end of the process and doesn't have to be engaged in politics and have to make a decision about, you know, a primary voter. Like usually that's decided for them. And then they say, well, maybe I like this person. Maybe I don't. They're not the person who usually has to decide in an activist way. And I think for a lot of people, that's new to them. I will give some advice for Lisa when I do my little morning meditation. One of the things that I say to myself is don't try to change how you feel. Just try to understand why you feel that way. So if you can think about why you're feeling ambivalent and that helps you become a more informed voter, then go there. But Great. don't feel guilty about it. Great. I love when people tell me to think more. It's awesome. No, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> don't beat yourself up about it. Like, it's okay to have feels. Yeah. You can feel your feels. Um, I'm, I'm serious, y'all. I'm, it helps. I'm feeling that. Sounds good. Okay, that's it for this episode. We'll be back later in the week. In the meantime, find us on Twitter or email the show at nprpolitics at npr.org. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. <laughs>